some flowers We'll kill the superpower The fall of home is near Can't you hear? It's been written, it's been seen The revelations I have read The signs I hear Those days are over Walk away from the line I know that I stand here for them Roger, that's a I'm stronger now, stronger now than I was before There's no way you can hurt me Welcome back. We are back with another edition of the Fantasy 40 Podcast with myself, John DeBari, my co-host, Mr. Matt Walker. And as always, brought to you by our friends at Expand the Box Score. So today, if you've been listening the last uh, four episodes, we did kind of a positional draft. Just went position by position, went down the list. Not necessarily rankings, but in a roundabout kind of way, kind of, sort of, for 2022. We kind of did a mock draft just in the positions. Today, we are going to be comparing and contrasting our uh, mock draft with uh, Mike Clay's projections from ESPN. Um, Mike Clay puts his projections out every year. Pretty one of the more accurate guys um, preseason-wise to do this year in and year out. So kind of give us an idea on who we were either way high on or way low on um, compared to Clay and Probably his stuff's probably a little closer to consensus, too. But uh, before we jump into it, Walk, how are you and where do you want to start? Doing fantastic, Johnny. And I'm seeing a lot of color coding going on over here. I'm thoroughly confused and excited all at the same time to discuss our player fantasy player draft versus Mike Clay consensus it's not ranking, right? It's his projections, Just, point projections, yeah, total. Um, because there's a ton of variation. I think some of it makes sense. I mean, it might be scoring base, but you know, some of it's just personal preference. So to your point, yeah, this wasn't our ranking, but it's how we would draft against each other going back and forth. So it's a blend of kind of our thought processes by position. So interested to see how we line up against the great Mike Clay from a projections perspective. So let's just go in the order that we did the drafts. So well, we'll go quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. I think it's yeah. So I guess uh, quarterback, n- not much surprises. We're kind of very similar at the top. Allen Mahomes, Herbert. Um, we had Jalen hurts one spot lower than he did. And then we had a couple guys. We had Dak Prescott and Aaron Rodgers. We were about five spots lower on both of them than uh, clay was. And, I don't know if – I guess – so you said as we go through it, there's guys we like, guys we don't like. What I noticed when I was putting the sheet together and doing the color coding, a couple narratives that we kind of believe in kind of uh, <laughs> emerged. Like I don't think we really love this Dallas offense as much as everybody else, and that kind of explains why we had Prescott a little lower. And we were talking just before we recorded uh, Aaron Rodgers. Similarly, you think he's going to have the touchdowns. I don't. I think that receiving core is pretty shitty. So he's a little higher than we are, and I think it makes sense based on what we think of the teams. Yeah, agreed 100%. I mean, Dallas does not have near the firepower that they had in years past. I mean, not only losing Amari Cooper, but say what you want, losing Cedric Wilson 
is going to hurt as well. He was a huge complimentary receiver for them and stepped in admirably whenever he got the chance last year and produced Michael Gallo coming back from injury. You know, you're, you're going to, you, I know you don't really believe in CD lamb as an alpha, you know, Jalen Tolbert, a, you know, small school rookie. I mean, that's, that's placed a lot of faith in Dak who I just don't believe is going to be the runner that he was in years past. I mean, he wasn't last year and that was year one back from the ankle injury, but now he's a year older with that as well. I mean, you just become less likely to run as you get older. So if he's a pocket passer, you're really asking a lot of Dak Prescott to return QB5 value. And, yeah, Aaron Rodgers, I do think he 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 thrives in these environments. Like every time people write him off, he just turns in another MVP season. And this would be the cherry of all cherries when there's just no excuses, right, of people saying, well, it was a lot of it was Devontae Adams, right, This these last two years. and. Now there's no one. The cupboard is bare. Yeah. So if Rodgers comes out and throws for 4,540 touchdowns, somehow leads the Packers to you know the NFC North title again and a potential MVP award. They, that's how he thinks. So I can see it, but you're right. I, had, I took him at 12, um, and he was listed as, what, six. So hold on, one, two, three, four, five. You had him yeah. at 11. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I'm looking at damn this board of yours. Put all the numbers in the middle in the C-Column, John. Yeah. So that makes a five player difference. The one that was that stood out a little bit to me earlier on that you didn't color code is you took Lamar Jackson at four. He was your second quarterback taken. And that was three spots higher than he's listed for Mike Clay, right under the aforementioned Dak Prescott and Aaron Rodgers. So I guess uh, Mr. Clay isn't expecting the the bounce back Lamar Jackson season as they go back to this run heavy approach and, you know, trade away Marquise Brown and don't bring anything in to replace him except for a bunch of rookie tight ends. Yeah. I mean, looking at points, he has where we have Jackson, he had hurts at 322 points. He has Lamar Jackson at 313. So, I mean, we're talking 10 points over a 17 game season. There's not a, Huge drop off once you get outside of the top one and two, at least in his projections. Yeah, I mean, which has to speak to six point per passing touchdowns and things of that nature because Lamar Jackson is going to sure. realize a, a regression there. I mean, he's <coughs> he's going to do what he does rushing, but yeah, he's he's hurt in those type of formats. Doesn't have the spike upside and against a four point per passing touchdown league. But going beyond some of those guys, and before we get into some of these big red numbers, you know. I wanted to talk about not only your boy, Russell Wilson, but my guy, Joe Barrow, because they both went in the top seven. They went pick six and seven, and that was four above where Mike Clay has both of those guys, and he has them as fringy QB1s, and I think they are lock QB1s. Um, I'm much more on board with where we had them than where Mike Clay's projections kind of shake out. Yeah, I, I mean, I obviously agree. If Thinking back to that episode, I think when I took Wilson at six, I was deciding between him and Joe Burrow anyway. So, yeah, I think they're both fringe top five in that top half of the QB1 tier. So, yeah, I'm surprised he was that low on them both. Yeah, and then to kind of probably put a bow on the, the top 12 tier is the one real glaring omission. It's that you took Deshaun Watson at pick eight. And right now he is 
all the way down at QB 28 from Mike Clay's projections at only 198 points. So I'm curious, you said you had the paper in front of you. How many games did Mike Clay project Deshaun Watson for in 2022? While I'm pulling that up, I mean, just for the sake of argument here, I mean, if you go down to 36, he had Jacoby Brissett in there. So he's obviously (laughs) projecting that. At the time of the draft, and I'm still in the camp that I don't think – Watson gets suspended at all. I mean, the the talk coming out now where the NFL is going to like, well, no matter what happens, he's going to miss significant time because they can't, if the arbitrator uh, says he isn't, didn't break the rules, they can't suspend him, but they can't put him on the commissioner's exempt list. But I heard the Browns are going to fight that because on the commissioner's exempt list, they have to pay him. <laughs> so we'll see how that shakes out. But uh, Clay has Watson playing. 11 games. Okay. So it's six games suspension. And it's really apropos because I just decided to look down at my phone. And 13 minutes ago, Bleacher Reports published an article saying Watson settles 20 civil suits. Plaintiff's attorney announces all but four of 24 lawsuits alleging sexual misconduct by Brown's quarterback have been settled. (laughs) So I do think he, I do think he's suspended. I don't think there's a world where, Goodell lets him just not miss any time. He got paid all of last year. It's not like he was suspended. He got his paycheck from the Houston Texans every week last year to not play football. So he hasn't been, quote, unquote, punished by the NFL. And I do think something comes his way. But it seems like it's pointing more towards this less than half a season suspension than this massive. I mean, a lot of people were saying, like, indefinite suspension where he has to like work his way back into the league and gain clearance. I don't think that is an option. And now seeing that level suits are starting to be settled. I don't know if that's good, bad, or indifferent for him. They are civil suits. I'm not a lawyer. It's not an omission of guilt necessarily as it is. And it depends what's included with this settlement. And I I don't know how far they are in the NFL (laughs) investigation, but if he, if he paid them all, you know, whatever whatever six-figure sum, and they signed an NDA and can't say shit to the NFL, what, what do they have to What do they have to go off of? Yeah, well, if they already if the if NFL 24 has people that information. don't say anything. Yeah, but, I mean, the NFL's probably already spoken with each one of these individuals, I would assume. So I don't know what type of weight that would carry, but it's going to be interesting to see. If he doesn't miss any games, he's rightfully going to be inside the top ten. Um, that's where he's been every year. He's been on a football field, so – it's going to come down to suspension versus not for him. And clearly you said you don't see him be suspended, which makes sense why you took him at eight. So getting outside of that top 12, there is a nice red trio right in the middle here. And they're of particular interest to me because I drafted all three of these guys. So clearly I just have an eye for quarterback value. (laughs) That's just how I see it. It was Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, and Daniel Jones who Mike Clay all has inside his, what, top 17, so top half quarterbacks. Yes. And I got Lance at 23, Zach Wilson at 25, and Jones at 27. At the time, I wasn't certain that Trey Lance was going to be the starting quarterback. I assumed he was, but this was over a month ago. Jimmy G still hasn't been traded, but the 49ers are clear that they are going to trade or release him. This is Trey Lance's team going forward. No, in a full season, both of us would have drafted him, I'm sure. 
a significant amount of picks higher than the 23rd quarterback selected. Um, but Zach Wilson and Daniel Jones are a little telling for me as that New York duo seems more viable and is rated higher than some guys under them that I believe will outscore them this season. So a little curious as to Clay's projections there, because I don't necessarily agree that Zach Wilson and Daniel Jones are going to score more than several of the names that are under them. Yeah. I I like Wilson's upside, but the concern, I mean, him even coming out of college, the concern was, can he say healthy? I mean, the, the jets have done everything right. As far as putting the weapons around a young quarterback. I mean, I, I like their receivers. I, I like their running backs now. Their their offensive line, if I'm not mistaken, is at middle of the pack at worst. So he's got plenty of opportunity. So I don't hate where he has them, but until I see it, I'm not trusting him. Daniel Jones fucking stinks. So I don't know how he has him at 17. I, that guy's awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that. I, I, this, that's a big head scratcher to me. I, I, I think. Yeah. What? And, and I love that you just took a shot at Daniel Jones and yeah, Zach Wilson. I'll say that the Jets offensive line is top third in the NFL, you know, at least in, in name value, sure. um, not necessarily in run pass blocking versus run blocking. I mean, don't know. Um, not going to pretend to be a, an expert there, but yeah, he has the tools or he has the weapons too. Daniel Jones does as well, but his offensive line isn't, Nearly as good. I mean, Evan Neal should help a lot in stabilizing that offensive line. But, yeah, neither of us really believe in Daniel Jones, the talent. We've, what, three years now in the league? Entering year four? The Giants don't believe in him. They didn't give him the fifth-year option. So we've seen enough to know he stinks. And and, uh, I can't remember the coach's name coming from Buffalo. Yeah, Dable coming from Buffalo. Okay, you you did good there as an offensive coordinator. This is your first – gig as a head coach you know daniel jones is learning a, a new system now to me that he stinks and he's got mm. you know new system on uh, I, yeah i think he'll I'm find some success. i think he'll find some success i do and it's just because i don't think the teams are going to be that good so they're going to have to score Garbage points time man and and i think he's going to get the leash this year um whether he hangs himself with it or not is is totally up to him. But there is talent, you know, in that offense. I mean, a lot of people are buying into the Saquon Barkley rebound. They do have Kadarius Tony there. They do have Kenny Galladay there. Who knows what Sterling Shepard's going to be? They still do have your boy Darius Slayton. Kind of a little bit uncertainty at the tight end position, but you know, it's not the cupboard isn't bare. And Daniel Jones can can run as well. So he has that kind of dual threat dynamic that pays dividends. My concern with Daniel Jones is uh, Clay has him with the same amount of fantasy points as Tua Tonga Vailoa and Trevor Lawrence. I know, sir. I put decent money on the fact that both of those guys outscore Daniel Jones from a fantasy perspective. And he has them with not significant. I mean, but a, a, a couple spot difference over a Justin Fields who doesn't have the weapons but is a superior talent and a better runner than Daniel Jones is. I don't know. I just I just don't see Daniel Jones as a top half fantasy quarterback this year. 
Yeah, I, I agree completely. Before we move on from quarterback, anybody else you wanted to talk about? Because just being being a primarily dynasty pod, but this little episode run being a little more redraft-centric, he does have Desmond Ritter at 33 and Matt Corral at 34, so it looks like he is expecting both of them to get on the field a little bit. Any feelings on that? Um, I, I too, expected them to get on the field. I think we both did. Do you think um, Corral does? I don't know. I, I mean, listen, there's chaos. I mean, if they don't trade for Baker, I do think Corral plays this year because I think they'll just be officially done with Sam Darnold and they'll need to see what they have in Corral. So Corral totally depends on if Baker ends up there. Ritter is already getting all types of positive affirmations in camp, and all he has to do is overcome Mariota. So it looks like that's almost a split season with the points. He has Mariota scoring a little bit more, and I don't even see you know, Sam Darnold barely more than Corral. So, I mean, he's almost just projecting a 50-50 split and snaps for the year for those two. I think the irony is he has Kenny Pickett only slightly above Trubisky. So he has Trubisky projected to break camp as a starter and start a handful of games as well, but transition over. So does that mean Pittsburgh's not winning games because they're going to Pickett? You know, or they just don't think Pickett's ready because he was the quote-unquote most pro-ready. <laughs> um, you know, so that's interesting as to how he projected um, – the two I did see that stood out is Matt Ryan that you took as quarterback 16. He had significantly lower. You were nine spots higher than them. And then I went big Mason. Uh, Mason. I went big Davis Mills at QB 21. <laughs> and I was only five off. I mean, there's there's not a huge variance uh, as to where he is. And Davis Mills is only 10 points total shy of where Jameis Winston is. So Clay kind of buying what I'm, what I'm selling here on Davis Mills uh, a little bit. And I was happy to see it, but clearly taking him above the likes of Trey Lance and several other guys would not happen again if I were to do this. But now, nothing more to see in the quarterback position. I think there's a lot more interest uh, when we get into these secondary positions. Not not that we're trying to make outliers here, but I think we pat ourselves on the back. I think uh, without doing probably 90% of the work Mike Clay does to come to these uh, conclusions – we're pretty chalky, <laughs> minus the guys we know we already didn't like coming in. So I, I well, was what's going to be fun here is actually looking back at this sheet after the year Correct. and comparing our draft against actual fantasy that performances. <laughs> That's what's really going to stand the test of time, Jonathan. Yes. So speaking of people named Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Taylor, <laughs> one of the running backs, we have him first. Mike Clay has him first. Everyone has him first. Um, but we'll sure. finish first because that just never really happens, happens um, anymore. So I'm not sure which direction you want to go with running backs. You want to kind of uh, start with the guys that he has higher. We have higher where you want to go. This, this, yeah, this one's tough. Let's, if you can navigate the waters, let's speak to the guys that we have higher. All right. We have higher. Um, Derek Henry. I ha- I took him second. Clay's got him fifth. So not a, a huge gap. We're a little higher on DeAndre Swift and Joe Mixon, which is not a surprise. Even though I took Mixon, he's one of your guys, and I know you love Swift. Um, And Javante Williams, who he has at number 13, who I thought fell in our draft at 9, I'm surprised. It seems just with all the love that guy gets, it seemed like he could have even been higher. So seeing Clay being a little lower on him um, was a bit surprising to me, and then we're a little – Scrolling down quite a bit here, Zeke Elliott, we were three spots higher than him. I took him at uh, 16, and he's got him down at 19. 
I mean, let's, let's start from the bottom up. Zeke Elliott, he has projected as running back 19. I mean, that is the Not middle good. of the RB2 class. I mean, that's I've, I've been waiting for this moment for years where it, it was just those carries just piled up on him. And it wasn't big injuries, but it was a, a nagging enough injury last year. And he's just going to start losing market share to Tony Pollard, and he's going to start to break down um, at the same time. So as a non-Zeke Elliott owner anywhere or a fan anywhere, because I just don't like anything Dallas Cowboys, this is it's a great day for me. And yeah, you know, we let him fall too. When you and I talked, I said you're going to have to be the one to draft him. Correct. Like, I just don't. I, he wouldn't have been in my top twenty, and that you falls know, right in line with Clay having him at nineteen. I just I, don't see the upside. Yeah, I, I mentioned it at the beginning how you kind of saw these narratives develop through the draft, and then looking at what we did and what he did, they almost kind of mirror each other, whereas we were three higher on Zeke than he was. If you scroll down, you mentioned Pollard. We were three lower on Pollard than he was. So we probably have roughly the same points. We just calculated it differently. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it seems like we're close. It just we're we're debating on the split, not necessarily the points out of that Dallas backfield. So I, I think even and I know we'll see it more with some of these other spots where we were higher on one receiver than another guy. And he was, you know, it was flipped for him, but I think a lot of it, some of these outliers actually make sense when you look at the other teammates and where he has them, we just have a different narrative on what direction some of these teams are going to go. Yeah. And then you mentioned Javante Williams and I wanted to go down and look where Melvin Gordon was, right? Because we both don't like Melvin Gordon, but he's back for another season in Denver. And we were spot on. We had Melvin Gordon. You took him at 36 and Mike Clay has him projected at 37 as a more than a handcuff back. And a lot of people it's impacting where they rank and would draft Javante Williams. Um, you know, so yeah, I took him at nine because I just believe in the player. I think he'll get more of the the pie this year, I, I think at worst it's a 60-40 Javante Williams split this year, and it looks like Mike Clay might be a little more conservative on that, but still has him as a, a reasonable RB2 um, when I have him as a low-end RB1, and then you know as an end-of-the-pack RB3 is, is Melvin Gordon, who just drains enough value out of Javante Williams and would likely take an injury to really return top five or six value on Javante Williams, which I think he has. He showed it in the games where he was the clear-cut bell cow that he has top five, top three running back upside, um, especially in a Russell Wilson-led offense. So I'm still comfortable where I took Williams at nine, um, but I understand Clay projected him more as a as a high-end RB2. We'll end up seeing this more when we get to wide receiver and tight end, but I think we're just way higher on the Denver offense. I mean, look, we're, we have – we have Russell Wilson four spots ahead of him. We have Javante Williams four spots ahead of Clay. We have Cortland Sutton 12 spots ahead of where Clay has him. We have Albert O eight spots ahead, not jumping, not meaning to jump ahead to the other position. So, like I said, these kind of narratives, as I <laughs> looked where we had these guys, the narratives kind of developed. I was like, oh, that's interesting. So, I just think he's not as high on the Denver offense as we are. I think that's kind of where some of these differences were. Yeah. I mean, that makes a ton of sense. Um, and projections probably typically fall somewhere in the middle, right. Of sure. Upside and expectation. So 
it, it's probably the the stronger bet that's going to feel closer to where he's at than the entire offense hitting. You know, some people need to fall by the wayside. Um, but I find myself when I really like a running back, I I can spin that yarn pretty aggressively that Javante Williams should be a 70-30 back <laughs> to a Melvin Gordon, right, and and leave him in the dust. But the, the Broncos clearly don't feel that way. They gave significant money to Melvin Gordon to bring him back for one more year. So they don't care about our fantasy teams. But outside of those pluses, let's talk about some of these big minuses that yeah. are at the top of this board as well because I think they're extremely telling. Yeah, so he's got Kamara at number four, which I thought that that was – Blew my mind when I saw that. We have him down at number 13. So we have him outside of um, the running back one territory. Plenty of reasons for that. I don't, you know, he kind of slowing down a little bit. He ain't as as young as he used to be. And they added a lot to the wide receiver room. So I think they're going to be passing the ball a little more. Um, And then scrolling down a bit, James Conner, he has at 11, which I get. But we're just not big Connor fans. We have him at seven, eight, nineteen. So we could be a little low just because we don't like him. That makes sense knowing us. And same thing with Montgomery. David Montgomery, he has at fourteen. We have David Montgomery down at number twenty-three. That's another guy that we just don't aren't huge fans of. And then scrolling down, J.K. Dobbins was uh, eighteen for Clay, and we have him down at 28, I think, which is super low. But I think three weeks ago, there was still talk of him going on pup, but it looks like he's expected to actually play week one. So we probably whiffed on the Dobbins one. But other than that, I I don't hate where we put him. And I I get why he's got James Conner there. I can understand the Montgomery narrative. I still can't. You can't get me to put Kamara for one year above the guys we have above him. No. Um, I mean, he asked. He obviously doesn't have Kamara getting suspended at all either, because you're not projecting him to be fourth in total points with any significant suspension. I I was there working on their narrative that Kamara was going to miss some time, and then I'll add in what you said around the fact that they actually did add to this offense. They not only brought in a lot of it, they signed Jarvis Landry as well. There's the potential return of Michael Thomas, so the there's not going to be as much opportunity. You know, for a pass catching role for Alvin Kamara, even though he's amazing at it, as there was in years past. I mean, and he loses some of that upside. Mark Ingram is still there. They brought in David Johnson. I mean, he might not even get as much opportunity as a running, uh, you know, on the running downs as he has in years past. So, yeah, I'm not there. 15 games. Yeah, I mean, which is just probably a regular projection for a running back, right? That's clearly not a suspension, two game suspension. I mean, he probably projects everyone to miss one or two games. Um, cause they do. So yeah, I'm not there on Kamara, Connor and Montgomery. I don't know how I had to stop the slide on both of those guys was beyond <laughs> me. Um, especially Montgomery as I'm just not team Montgomery. He's still the primary back in Chicago, but I just don't believe in the player. Um, I think some of the other guys they brought in, uh, primary Cleo Herbert, uh, have played better when given the opportunity to Montgomery. And I'd really like to see what that kid can do with the volume that Montgomery has absorbed the last couple of years. And then Connor just wasn't efficient. Wasn't good last year. He just got all the money touches was, you know, a super yeah. outlier season from a touchdown perspective. You're going to project that again. I just, I don't, see that as an RB1 for him and not that there's a lot 
to really take away from him. They did sign Darrell Williams. They did draft Keontae Ingram. They do still have, you know, Benjamin there. They're not nobodies, but there's no one really nipping at his heels as a clear RB2. So maybe just volumes his way into it. But I, he's not going to get that touchdown production again, in my humble opinion. And J.K. Dobbins, to your point, he, that was based off the assumption that he was going to miss at least the first six games uh, on the pup list, which doesn't seem to be the case. So that would have that ship would have righted itself. So if, if in your mind, where do you put him today? Um, seeing him at 18 and the names that are still there, I would take Dobbins over James Connor. So that's who I took at 19. So that, there we go. I would, I would, yeah, I think that's probably right in line with my bump Elijah Mitchell. Uh, I'd probably take Mitchell cause I'm a fanboy. So, yeah, I mean, it, who isn't right. Any smart mm-hmm. individual that listens to the fantasy 40 <laughs> and owns him in dynasty. Yeah. You know, he's a fan of Elijah Mitchell. So right in that range, um, Jay, Josh Jacobs is not as shiny as he was before. Clay has him higher, honestly, than we do at 20. Mm-hmm. Brees Hall, I, I'm still right there on. He has Brees Hall a few spots lower. So right in that range for Dobbins, just because he's not going to do much as a pass catcher because it's just not a product of that offense. And Lamar Jackson doesn't throw those running backs. So he's got to score the touchdowns that I don't think James Conner is going to get this year, but James Conner will get the receptions. So yeah, you got to so- balance the two. Scrolling down a bit, a couple other guys higher on Antonio Gibson by about six spots. Not surprising at all. We love that guy, but I, I get, I get why other people are concerned between the injuries and the the depth chart now, which is unfortunately far more crowded than we would have liked. One of the biggest differences at any position we had was actually Nick Chubb. He's got Nick Chubb at twenty one, and we took him all the way up at ten. Um, I don't. I don't really get well outside have him that low. Well, it's because he had Deshaun Watson projected to be suspended for a third of the season. So doesn't that give more work to Chubb? I mean, you're gonna get stacked boxes. I pro- it's, it's probably some it's probably a negative um impact in his opinion, because if you scroll down and I only saw because you had it highlighted, Kareem Hunt, he has uh what three spots? Oh, we were three spots higher. No, he has Cream Hunt three spots higher yeah. than we had him. So he has that almost as a split. He has 213 fancy points for Chubb, 183 fancy points for Hunt. So it's still just that split the ba- baby narrative. And I'm sure he has Chubb missing multiple games as well, like he did for Alvin Kamar. Yeah. And, and we just talked about Elijah Mitchell. We're hiring on him because. That's what we do. But anybody else you thought was a little fringy there? And then we'll discuss the guys that he ranked or we didn't rank. No. Um, uh, Elijah Mitchell, assuming health, is going to exceed Mike Clay's projections. But Elijah Mitchell got hurt last year. I mean, and this system just injures running backs. So, again, I understand him being conservative. But, you know, a healthy Elijah Mitchell is clearly a high to mid-range RB2 uh, with low-end RB1 upside week-to-week. Week, he's just not going to catch a ton of passes either. Not that he can't, but they don't do that for in San Fran either. So, now, outside of that, um, I did see the Correll Patterson plus five and the Chase Edmonds plus five. And, you know, those are two guys that mostly you're higher on, and you did take Correll Patterson as an RB2. I took Edmonds as uh, what I thought was tremendous value at RB29. Um yeah, but he has them lower than that. So he's either got to be assuming injury or kind of a timeshare uh, for Miami mm-hmm. because he's going to get the first chance to be the, the lead guy for the Dolphins. So I thought that was a low projection for Chase Edmonds. 
I thought we took him too low at 29. I agree. I was like, hold on, Chase Edmonds? Yeah, I got to take him. He's I got an RB1, a team's RB1. Uh, clear team's RB1. Like yeah. Damien Harris went 30. I don't think Damien mm-hmm. Harris is as clear the RB1 in New England as Chase Edmonds is in Miami. I think Ramondre Stevens is a bigger impediment than Raheem Mostert and Sony Michelle and Miles Gaskin are to Chase Evans. Yeah, I agree. And then so, uh, a couple outliers here, guys that Clay had ranked that we didn't even put in our rankings anywhere. 32nd, he has Michael Carter, who we didn't even entertain about ranking once Brees Hall showed up. Uh, Ronald Jones, a, a, a fan least favorite here at the 40, <laughs> has him at 36, getting 149 points, which I don't see how that happens. Naheem Hines, who we probably should have ranked. He's 39. He probably could have squeaked in here in the bottom. We just omitted him. James White at 43. Raheem Mostert at 44, which may explain why he was a little lower on Chase Edmonds. And then Kenyon Drake, who also didn't even cross my mind when I looked at his name at uh, 46. So um, conversely, the guys we ranked that he didn't, Alexander Madison, Matt Breda, James Cook, Khalil Herbert, Rashad White, and Tyler Algier. Yeah, so our guys were either rookies or handcuffs, you know, so we were assuming, you know, and his projections are based on just utilization. Like, yeah, sure, Naheem Hines, fair enough. Ronald Jones now has a Jarek McKinnon problem again. Which I love. I'm such a so, fucking talent problem. I'm so happy that Jeremy <laughs> Kidder resigned thereafter. Just a better back than Ronald Jones. But he could eat into some of uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire's receiving downs work as well, because Jerry McKinnon still got it on a limited basis. And Michael Carter, I, I agree as well. I mean, ultimately when we finished this list, we said who was the who's the next guy? And I believe I said Michael Carter after we went through the top forty eight. So he was on my mind. I just think he's got to do a ton in the receiving world because Breesaw is getting as much as he can handle um, as the primary back for the Jets. So none of those really surprise me. Um, I'm not going to say none. Surprise me. Yeah. Even, even though I mean, we're talking <laughs> RB46. Like, yeah, they have the specialists. That's what McDaniels does. I mean, Kenyon Drake was productive in a limited role until he got hurt last year, and that's really when Josh Jacobs spiked. So I can see it if he's healthy. Raheem Mostert's one that, you know, he just can't stay healthy. So I think that was a hefty projection for Mostert personally, but I do think he'll enter as like the 1B to Chase Edmonds. It's just Raheem Mostert hasn't stayed healthy his entire NFL career, and definitely not when he started getting significant carries. James White's coming back from a potential career-ending hip injury, and to project him as any significance, he's been as a low-end RB4, I think is a little aggressive with all the other running backs that they have in New England at this point in time. But I get it. If he plays all year in a PPR world, yeah, he'll, he'll put up relevant points. So None of those really surprised me from a projection perspective. Yeah, I mean, him having Mostert high and Chase Edmonds low, obviously that's his theory and how that breaks out, you know, how it plays out this year. But, yeah, I, I just thought it was interesting that, like, he has – he's low on Patterson, but he doesn't have Algier in the top 48. So it's like, who who's getting any of the rushing work? Or do you just think it's – dog shit in Atlanta. Do you know what I mean? Like somebody, somebody's got to be up there just by process of elimination. Yeah. You could be low on Patterson, but then you have to bump Algier up unless you think they're signing somebody unforeseen at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's surprising that he had 
no one. I mean, that offense is going to be <laughs> disgusting. But you know, just to just to opt out of the Falcons' backfield. Oh no, he had Cordell Patterson. Yeah, but we but not high. I mean, he's got no. low end. The high yeah. end RB three. He's not and even RB two. And that's probably largely a projection on what he's going to be as a pass catcher. If you if you are curious, he, I'm looking at his projections for the Falcons overall. He had Damian Williams scoring more points than Tyler Algier, which Damian I mean, Williams veteran deference. I don't that one was a good back at some point, but he got his lunch money stolen by Khalil Herbert last year in That's Chicago, disgusting. and yeah, I don't know that it's going to be any better a year a year older in Atlanta. But I mean, he did have a couple spike weeks when he got the opportunity with the with the Chiefs, so. He could get there, you know, over a few weeks, but it's probably just that they just don't want to throw Algier out there, whether it be with Mariota and certainly not with uh, Desmond Ritter, right? They'd probably rather just have a veteran back there, whether it's Cordell Patterson or Dane Williams helping them out. So yeah. makes sense. You can I, I can craft the narrative as to why Algier isn't the top running back in the because I still don't consider Cordell Patterson a running back in the Falcons offense. Well, they, uh, what's his name? Cordell Stewart. He's a slash back. Nah, he's an awesome player. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right, moving on to the running back position. All right, geez, wide receiver. We just wrapped up running back. Um, Not much in the top 10. We kind of nailed it more or less. Um, no real outliers there. Kind of at 10. Uh, we had Keenan Allen down at 15, and I think during the draft we both said, shit, how did how did we miss him? He should have been higher. We both liked Keenan Allen and would have taken him higher. I think we just overlooked it as we did it live. But other than that, no real shakeups till we got down in that uh, you know wide receiver two tier. So where do you want to start? Yeah, Keenan Allen was a blind spot. We both like Keenan Allen, and he still is in a great offense. He's going to get target volume, and he's going to produce. Now, I don't think we disrespect him at 15, but you know Clay has him as a top 10. We just went with probably upside guys like you. I think we both forgot he was on the list. I think if I recall correctly, yeah. we said, "Oh shit, uh, Keenan Allen's still there." Well, I mean, in hindsight, looking at the guys I picked, I wouldn't have taken Keenan Allen over any of them. Just so trans full transparency on my side, um, he wouldn't have went any earlier for me, and I'm the one that took him. So if, if you would have... I, I could have taken him around 8 or 10, possibly. Yeah, and that's what I, I, I would have taken him before Metcalf, for yeah, sure. Yeah, see, A.J. Brown and Metcalf are both upside plays, right? I mean, so I could I could see you pivoting there easily. But, no, there's nothing on the top end. I mean, with T. Higgins and Keenan Allen being my picks at 13 and 15 as being the biggest kind of outliers in that top tier of 10 um, it, it's not much. What did strike me is that is right after that, where he has wide receiver 11 being Jalen Waddle. And I got Waddle at wide receiver 21 in this draft. So a 10 spot difference. And we didn't mention Tyreek Hill, but you took Tyreek Hill at six and Clay has him at seven. So he has two top 11, top, let's we'll just say top 12 for sake of purposes, two wide receiver ones for the Miami Dolphins. But he had Tua Tungavailoa yeah. all the way down at QB eighteen. Yes, and I noticed that too when I did it, and I was going to bring it up. So I'm glad, glad you read my mind. I don't yeah. get how that's. <laughs> and, and spoiler alert, only because I saw it, he has Mike Gesicki as a tight end one again this year as well. 
So he has three pass catchers in the, the one tier for Tua. With, we just talked about Chase Edmonds and uh, Raheem Mostert being low-end, what, running back twos and threes, even lower than that. Mm-hmm. You know, like low-end running back options. So he's believing in the passing game, not the running game, maybe, and maybe doesn't get Tua there. So he throws, Maybe he's got him for 50 interceptions. Well, or he just has him literally throwing it to no one else but these three, which wouldn't be all that surprising given how talented these guys are. But no, Jalen Waddle was a huge standout as far as where Clay got him. Then DJ Moore just perennially just underrated, right? He he has him as, as wide receiver 12, and you actually got him as wide receiver 18. He does produce. He just hasn't had the spike touchdown upside season yet. It could come this year. Maybe it's going to take a Matt Corral to, uh, to unlock him in the second half of the season, but he'll get the target volume. He'll get the yardage. It always comes down to touchdowns with DJ Moore. And then Mike Evans as a plus six. I took Mike Evans as wide receiver seven. He has him as wide receiver 13. We were just talking a little bit about Tampa Bay and who else is Tom Brady going to throw to? I mean, Godwin's going to start on the pub. Gronk still, I believe will come back, but outside of that, Russell Gage, you don't seem like you're the biggest fan of him. Cyril Grayson, Scotty Miller, Tyler Johnson, you know, uh, Cameron Brait. Like, sure, those are good, fair enough ancillary pieces, good for like a target or two per game. But he, Mike Evans is going to see p- potentially the hugest target share of his entire career this year. So I, I'm not the biggest Mike Evans fan. Anyone who listens to the podcast knows, you know, OPI Evans, but he's just going to find his way into a dozen plus touchdowns again. And if he sees 150 plus targets, he's going to be a top 10 wide receiver. Easy. Just to backtrack just one second about Waddle and Hill. Clay has them getting 51% of Tua's targets. Yeah. And you know, so that's, that's, it's heavy volume for the top two. I mean, just doing the rough math and I know it's not split this way, but over 25% to each, you know, would be a pretty interesting uh, look into like years past or seeing like you hit the nail on the head math. He's got (laughs) Waddle 136 targets and Tyreek 137. Oh, I mean, I I assumed he had Tyreek with heavier targets. He just has them, I guess, is more explosive with the points. So I assume there was like a little like a 26 to 24 type split. But, yeah, I mean, so he has them just crafting game plans week over week. And these guys kind of landing in the same exact spot with like a a touchdown or two more going Tyreek Hill's way. But just one more. Very similar. Yeah, so 19 points over the course of the year, you know, breaks out to just about a point a game. So there's not a tremendous variance between the two in Clay's yeah, opinion either. So that's that's surprising to me. I mean, I, I started uh, coming down on Tyreek Hill just by not being in Kansas City. Um, but I do think it kind of impacts Waddle. I don't want to say positively and negatively. I think he'll have some spike weeks, but I do think he'll, he'll find a couple weeks where he lets you down. So... Uh, total points wise, it, it makes sense to me. But after that, where did you want to go? There's some guys to your point. You, we talked about AJ Brown and Metcalf. You were just slightly higher than where he has them. I do think Metcalf is hurt by the quarterback situation. I do think Brown is limited, but won't find himself in really a scenario any lesser than he was in Tennessee where the volume wasn't there. 
I mean, he's going to be the alpha. I think he has a better ancillary receiver in Devonta Smith, better tight end in Dallas Goddard than he had the last few years in Tennessee. But it's not a high-volume pass on attack. I don't care what my Eagles, you know, beat reporters are trying to shove down my throat. They're still a (laughs) run-based offense. So he just he's going to have to have big splash plays to really return. So I get where you drafted him. I also get where Clay projected him. Yeah, I mean, we had – Wide receiver was a lot more volatile than the other spots. So, like, we were talking about guys that we were off by three or four spots than Clay. We got quite a few wide receivers that are at or near double digits. So, even a guy like Brown and Metcalf, relatively speaking to everything else, we were pretty close on them. Um, But, yeah, I mean, you talked about Mike Evans a little bit. DJ Moore, we were lower on, which I I get it. But, I mean, if you want to talk about guys that are a huge difference – um, doesn't take too far. He's got Amon Brown wide receiver 20. We had him down at 36. So, I mean, mm-hmm. we're we're on totally different planets there. And I, I I was not a huge fan coming out. You know, we, we talked about that four-game stretch he had to close the year where he was literally, literally the only guy there that could catch football. So he's not going to see 11 targets every single week, which is what he's going to probably need to get up near this 20 spot. I just don't see it happening, and especially when Jamison Williams is back and healthy. So I, I think that's just way off. Yeah, I mean, that's let's consider that malpractice at, <laughs> at this point in time. I mean, he was getting carries at the end of the season. It was literally like Amon Ross and Brown yeah. by any means necessary. And it's because they, to your point, had nothing else. I mean, they were they were a revolving door quarterback when Goff was going down. They had no one else. I mean, they were relying on Josh Reynolds, who they brought in off the street, you know, to to play significant snaps. They were Hawkinson in and out of the lineup until he wasn't anymore. And then guys who I've never heard of were catching passes at tight end. Yeah, now you get Hawkinson back. Now you're getting another healthy season of DeAndre Swift. You're going to get Jamison Williams eventually. You're getting DJ Chark in there, which this kid was productive as a Jacksonville Jaguar with Blake Bortles as quarterback. I mean, he got injured last year, and now everyone forgets about him. The the target distribution is going to be totally different for St. Brown this year. So, yeah, I'm not there. I I definitely don't think he's a top-20 receiver. There's several guys after him that I would be taking significantly before Amon Ross St. Brown. do think we had a bit of a blind spot at 36 because of – you know, potential as a PPR, you know, Keenan Allen light type guy, but not maybe meeting in the middle. Maybe he should have been 30 for us instead of 36. Looking around that range, I still don't like him better than. I like him better than Hunter Renfro. I know you're on Renfro. I do like him better than Renfro. Um, as I'm scrolling through it, I like him exactly where we have him. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I don't. But I do. Again, yeah, I mean, it, fans. It, yeah, we're not. I mean, under that, Mike Williams, he was falling until I took him because you were never taking him. So I knew I was going to find value in Mike Williams. Darnell Mooney only being one spot off. Mike Clay has him as wide receiver 22. I have him at 20. I got him at 23. I do think he has upside to be a, a top 18 receiver oh, yeah. easily in this offense. But like seeing where he landed, Tyler Lockett. Yeah, yeah, let's do this. Let's not, let's keep with that. We'll go with the guys that we're way lower on, and then we'll come back and do the guys we're higher okay. on. <laughs> so yeah, go ahead with Lockett. All right, Tyler Lockett. He has his wide receiver twenty four. You nuts. got you got Tyler. I'm pretty sure. I know I got Lockett at forty seven, 
And no, we didn't forget about Tyler Lockett. Like John said, we did Keenan Allen. It's just, I just don't see the upside anymore without Russell Wilson. I, I don't. I mean, Stu came out and said he considered retirement. I don't know if that was just after Russ or his entire career, but just, I'm just, who who's the quarterback where he has Metcalf as wide receiver 16 and Lockett at 24? I mean, that's not where they even finished last year with Russ, but that was Russell Wilson, one of the best quarterbacks ever to play the game. Anyone is a downgrade, even if they get Baker there, even if it ends up being Jimmy G. Just, there's not the moon ball upside that comes with, you know, the production that Lockett and Metcalf have had in years past. So I'm at an absolute loss for how Tyler Lockett finishes as a wide receiver two this year. I mean, 47 or whatever it ended up being was a bit much probably. He is the wide receiver two on a team that I think is going to be bad, has a clear, narrow target distribution in their offense, but not wide receiver two. I mean, wide receiver 36 maybe. I think meeting in the middle is reasonable for him, but nowhere near top 24. I it's insanity. I mean, and, and, and it shows it's the biggest difference we have at any player at any position. So I, I'm just with you. What what do they have at quarterback that leads you to believe <laughs> that Lockett? What they have now? I mean, look, if they bring – if Mayfield ends up there, you were talking about Garoppolo, I could comfortably bump him up significantly from where we have him in the you know low-end wide receiver four. Right now with Drew Locke and Geno Smith, there is no fucking way you could get me to squeeze this guy in the top 24 under no circumstances. No, I mean, and this is just top of my head, but I think he had one good game with Geno Smith at quarterback. Um, And what, like the four starts he had that I can recall, and it was like he got peppered with targets one week. I mean, the more productive of the two was DK Metcalf, and that wasn't even on volume. One was like literally like an 80-yard touchdown on the first like series, and then Metcalf finished with like 90 and a touchdown on the week. But Lockett almost went into a, you know, went into witness protection with these two, or with Geno Smith throwing them passes last year. So yeah, I'm, I'm not there on Lockett, and I don't see a scenario, even with Baker or Jimmy G, that I would be considering him as top 24. Well, I'm having Lockett and, and Metcalf that high, similar to what we're talking about with uh, with Tua. He's got Drew Lockett 29. So <laughs> how uh, those things are not compatible. I don't know how you get there. I mean, because he don't, I don't see any uh, uh, Geno Smith listed. I don't see any, I mean, I guess you can't project Baker or Jimmy G there yet. So maybe, I mean, how many games does he have for Drew Locke? I'm looking right now. I mean, is he, is, was just a placeholder. He just knows that's not how this is going to end. So we're not going to give Drew Locke anything more because there's no way he's a 6-17 game starter. He's, it's a little fuzzy with the math. He's got them both playing 16 games. He's got Drew Locke, two, 375 attempts, and Geno Smith, 214. Oh, I mean, so... Uh. Yeah, not going to happen. No. Not going to happen. Well, all right, moving off Seattle. It was far too much, and we're going with heavy outliers. Drake London, he has at wide receiver 30, and I got good old Drakey all the way down at wide receiver 49. I I thought I got a ton of value. I actually took him after Tyler Lockett. I do think Drake London has touchdown upside immediately, and I can see the projection given the Atlanta pass catchers. I still just have a lot of uncertainty with Mariota and Ritter. 
where from a yeah. redraft perspective, I just don't want to invest in him as a wide receiver three, a high end wide receiver three. Um, you know, when, with some of the other guys that I got around that range. I mean, I took Devonta Smith where Drake London is projected, and I would ha- rather have Devonta Smith. You know, personally, uh, I yeah. got Brandon Ayuk a few spots later. I still take Brandon Ayuk over Drake London this year. Yeah, I, I don't. I just don't like. I don't like London. I don't like rookies and redraft. I don't like this offense. And he's, despite having a you know, no competition and, and just shit around him. And he, he should step in and be their wide receiver one. He's not ahead of Kyle Pitts in the pecking order. So I, I just, I, I could see the narrative where he has him this high, but it just isn't happening for me. So speaking of narratives, I'm not buying into right below him. Uh, hmm. We got Juju Smith Schuster. We're 11 spots lower than he has him. He has Juju at 11. Um, we took Juju at 43. I, you know, I, I say it with a lot of guys, especially at receiver. I, I just need to see it. You know what I mean? He he hasn't hasn't been good in what five years, four years. Well, so I think he's he, only been in the league for five years. But du- duly noted. I mean, th- these last two years have not done him any favors. No. Um, but he was, and in 2020, he was the top receiver of the three of Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, and him in in uh in uh, Pittsburgh and then he got hurt last year and it was that one year deal. So it, it's just, his target volume was dog shit in yeah. 2020. So it just looked, the optics were bad for him. I think the irony of Juju is he has Juju at 30. He has Miko Harmon at 49 and he has MVS. You've kindly included beyond the number rankings. One, two, three, four, five, roughly 66. And they're separated by uh, total points of like 50. Between, you know, from him down. So there's a lot of split in the baby with Patrick Mahomes. If Juju finds his way to come anywhere near 200 fantasy points this year, I will be selling him in a lot of places because he's on a one-year deal. He's going to be probably looking elsewhere again next year. I I hope that Mike Clay is correct here, but, yeah, we clearly had him lower. And then the last guy was another rookie, Garrett Wilson, who he has as wide receiver 40 that we got – much lower um, as wide receiver 57. And again, there's another rookie that I guess he's projecting to have significant volume in that Jets offense pretty early on. We like Elijah Moore, who I took above him. Um, he has Elijah Moore ranked relatively high as well as wide receiver 31 for having um, Garrett Wilson as wide receiver 40. And then there still is the Corey Davis problem there. So I just, you know, are they going to pass that much? That a rookie is, you know, that he's going to support even two top forty receivers with the, all the ancillary pieces. It's not even hard to support two top forty. It's Corey Davis is going to eat. Those two tight ends are going to eat. Passes out of the backfield to Michael Carter and Brees Hall. Like I just, I don't see how Garrett Wilson gets there as rookie year. Even though I, I think he's a talented player, I just yeah, it's similar to what I said with Denver. I just think we have a different narrative in our head about the Jets. I mean, we were a lot lower on Wilson. Quarterback Wilson, we're a lot lower on receiver Wilson. We're we are higher on Brees Hall. We're lower on um, Michael Carter. So I think he sees it being more pass heavy than we do, and we see more of the running going to Brees Hall. So I, w- like I said, when I when I started doing this and different teams and players were highlighted, it made a lot more sense to me seeing how it played out. So I, I think that's just 
seeing how everybody else was ranked, I think we just have a very different narrative than Clay does. Yeah, I I, I think that's pretty uh, pretty well said. So we've talked about the the bums, the dead <laughs> well, red. Who we, we think are bums? Yeah, yeah. The dead red players. So are we climbing back up and we're going to the yes the other guys? Okay, so the first on the list is Marquise Brown, which I think kind of speaks for itself. We were plus ten on Hollywood Brown himself that you took at wide receiver sixteen. You shocked the shit out of me when you took him there that day. I mean, he was I was eyeballing him when you said his name. I was like, holy shit! If John's on board. 40 yeah. is fully on board this year. Yeah, I, I just see a monster year. He's he's gonna he, be dude, heavily he, owned in redraft for me. Yeah. I mean, Kyler Murray and him have a report dating back to their time in college. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins is suspended for six weeks and coming up on the end of his kind of alpha stage. They traded a first-round pick for Marquise Brown, so they're likely going to be extending him. He's going to be a focal point of this offense, and all he has to do is battle. Endgame, A.J. Green, running back slash Rondell Moore, and then the tight ends. I mean, it's I think Zach Ertz, aligned, man. Zach Ertz is more of an impediment <laughs> than yeah. any of those receivers yeah. this year because really- he'll command volume. But, yeah, I like Marquise Brown. I I have. I undersized, but he makes it work, and he wins at all different levels of the field. He's not just a deep threat. They use him in various capacities with the Ravens. And I think they'll do so as well, moving them all around the formation when they go four wide with the Cardinals. I'm super excited to see what Hollywood does this year. And I'm really surprised that Clay has them at a wide receiver 26. I don't even know where he has DeAndre Hopkins after the miss, but I think he's too low. I think DeAndre Hopkins all the way down here, 149 points as wide receiver 64, it looks like roughly, 65, because yeah. of the missed games, um, which was a plus 17, I guess you're saying, for, <laughs> for us, uh, where we took Hopkins. But, yeah, I just think far too low on Hollywood Brown. You're the one that took him. You clearly agree. I took Sutton the next pick at wide receiver 17, which was a plus 12 slot. For him, I believe that Sutton is their wide receiver to own in Denver this year. So just to piggyback to two, you took Jerry Judy at wide receiver 26, and that was a minus three for um, Mike Clay's rankings. He has Judy projected as the the fantasy wide receiver to own in Denver when we flip-flopped pretty significantly. Um how do you feel about Sutton versus Judy? I, I I'm a, I don't dislike Judy. I, I don't want to say I'm not a fan. I'm just very meh. I don't think he's as good as a lot of people do. I don't think he stinks, but I, I think he's I think he's a fine NFL receiver, middle of the pack for fantasy. I get the upside. I mean, he, he's he's flashed a little bit, and, and people really liked him coming out. But um, I love Sutton. I think Sutton. You know, we talked about it when we did the wide receivers show. I mean, he he has not always been – he wasn't even a wide receiver his whole college career. So he's still learning on the job. And I, I think I think he's going to be a, a stud now that Russell Wilson's there. And I, I love the, the fit. I like the offense. But we're high on Sutton, like we said, going back to Russell Wilson, going back to Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. You and I are just higher on this Denver offense than he is except for Jerry Judy. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a big Judy fan. And, I mean, let's sort of remind people real quick that in the 2019 season, 
Cortland Sutton was able to compile this following stat line, and it's only more impressive. 124 targets, 72 receptions, 1,112 yards, and six touchdowns. And I say it's only more impressive because he was catching passes from a combination of Joe Flacco, Drew Locke, and Brandon Allen. And that, that's like a 2,500-yard, 50-touchdown season with any competent quarterback. You know, hyperbole fully extended on that one. But we've seen alpha from Cortland Sutton with nothing at quarterback. Now he gets Russell Wilson. I mean, this dude is going to just moss people all season long in, in mile high. And I'm with you on Judy. I think Judy's a good receiver. I don't think he's great. I think he's a good route runner, but he has questionable hands and he's not nearly as explosive um, as Cortland Sutton is, you know, from, from a fantasy perspective. So uh, I'll take the knowing that I can probably get Sutton a little later than I even took him. I'm, I'm totally fine with, with the reach I had at the time. And then the next big one was Traylon Burks which you took 10 spots over where Clay has him ranked. I know exactly why you're going to say you took him in 24, but say why you took him in 24. Yeah, fucking ghost town. I mean, who else? <laughs> who? There's no one. It's literally him. They cleared the deck. They traded A.J. Brown. They needed a wide receiver one. They brought Burks in. They're going to plug him directly into the vacated role by A.J. Brown. And there's – unless you think Austin Hooper is going to have a, a fucking monster year at tight end – there's nobody else there. I mean, the 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 injured ghost of Robert Woods making a comeback uh, doesn't scare me. Burks is going to be the focal point of this offense. They drafted him to be that, and and I just don't see how, just based on volume. I mean, I, I don't see how he doesn't finish in a top tier. As much as I was saying earlier, I, I avoid <laughs> these rookies. Mm-hmm. He's just in a spot with a decent quarterback, like you know. Everything I'm saying now, you could attempt to apply to Drake London, except he's got a competent quarterback. Yeah, I mean, Traylon Burks could have an oxygen tank on his back all season, you know, to fight off this this acumen issue, and he's still going to produce. I mean, I'm with you on Burks. I even think Woods being there helps because he's just a savvy enough veteran to keep people a little Mm -hmm. honest. It would be worse if he wasn't there, but he's not – going to totally just sit Traylon Burks on the bench and eat all the target share. You know, it's just, it's not going to happen and no one else is. And I don't care how run heavy they want to be. Even a team that throws the ball 25 to 30 times a game, Traylon Burks is going to see eight to 10 targets <laughs> in, in a game, potentially yeah. probably six, even six to eight targets. I mean, being more realistic um, with him on the low pass attempt projection, is still more than enough given his upside um, to, to be productive. So I'm with you on Traylon Burks. And then we have to go way down the list, tapping into Brandon Ayuk, Kenny Galladay, and Alan Lazard, all of which we drafted significantly higher than Clay has him projected. Oh, no, no. You missed the big one. Our, our man in green there. Oh, wow. Oh, you went a different color. It really, really threw me off, but that's because it was a super value. All right, or super reach, I guess, not a value. Yeah, Rashad Bateman, plus 18. I took Rashad Bateman as wide receiver 19, and Clay has him as wide receiver 37. I, I'm at a loss for words. I mean, there's just really – I I didn't reach for him. So, Mr. Clay wants to come on to the Fantasy 40 and kindly explain why Rashad Bateman is a wide receiver four in his projections. 
albeit very close to several guys above and below him. I don't care how limited that pass attack is going to be. You just talked about Traylon Burks and being the only wide receiver worth a shit. Well, so is Bateman. And granted, he is a much better tight end who is the predominant pass-catching threat in that offense. I don't care if Lamar Jackson throws it 25 times a game. I mean, you're going to see the same six to eight targets to Bateman every single week, and I believe in the player. I I just think Rashad Bateman, wide receiver two season, is upon us. And he's, he's he not going to finish as a wide receiver four. Here's the stat line. 73 catches, 112 targets. 892 yards and four touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, I in a 17-game season, I mean, that's that's pretty low. And the targets at 112. He's so. got him playing 16 games, so seven targets. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I would say that's probably his floor. Even though I went with the six to eight, I think there's there's more to be had. I do think they go conservative in their passing attack, but. I mean, Devin Duvernay and James Prochet and no one else. I mean, literally no one else, even as a wide receiver. I mean, the, the only the only threats he has are tight ends. And outside yeah. of Mark Andrews, it's rookie tight ends. They yeah. don't throw to the running backs. I just – I don't get that. Um, I mean, he – unless he falls flat on his face, I mean, he could be a target share leader <laughs> at the wide receiver position. So – I get conservative projections because of the offense, but I don't know. I just – I see bigger things coming for Rashad Bateman, and I would err more on the side of the 1,000-yard, six-plus touchdown kind of floor for him this year on a 17-game season. I know you said he projected 16, but I'm not going to project any on people. Everything I'm going to state is going to be based on them playing all season, and I don't think that's asking a lot. Yes, I remember. I say I always get hurt. But yeah, so big shift from Bateman. And listen, I took Bateman before Waddle and Mooney. That's how I feel. And I already said that I think Waddle's been for a good year. And I love Darnell Mooney. Yeah. So it clearly speaks to what I think Rashad Bateman is going to be this year based upon where we drafted. But yeah, so there was Rashad Bateman. And then we won't go too in depth because Clay has a lot lower. And it's, I already mentioned Brandon Ayuk, Kenny Galladay, and Alan Lazard. I think there's narratives for all of them. I mean, Ayuk, maybe with Trey Lance as a quarterback, I think that offense is going to change and be more run-based even than it was before, and it's because even Lance is going to run it more and Jimmy G threw it. So it does kind of cap Ayuk a little bit. Galladay, does he finally score touchdowns in New York this year? Because if he does, he's going to finish above where Clay projected him more where you're at. And then Alan Lazard, I mean, he, he again has Aaron Rodgers projected reasonably high um, and then no wide receivers from, from Green Bay to speak of. I mean, he has Lazard all the way down at wide receiver 54, and that's the only one he really has a rapport with outside of Randall Cobb, who isn't much of a threat for anything. So I'm kind of – I'm probably most surprised about where, where he has Lazard ranked, and I just think it's because Lazard has the possibility for six or eight touchdowns in this offense, and that alone is going to yield a higher point total than Mike Clay hasn't projected for but Lazard's another guy that I think I'm going to be heavily overweight on in uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> redraft this year. The, he has him for 53 receptions on 80 targets, 673 yards, six touchdowns. 
goodness. I mean, he gets him almost there on a touchdown. He only has him for 80 targets. I mean, what's he having? Here's the funny thing. He's got 80. Christian Watson has 85. And then Aaron Jones is 74. And then he's got Tunyon at 68. Yeah. It's gross. He's got 51 to Sammy Watkins. I do believe it goes all over the yard. I I do. I mean, I I Sammy Watkins gets 51. I do. I think he'll really? probably get some of them early on, and then he'll probably transition to Christian Watson late. I'm actually most surprised he had 80 for Watson, um, just knowing Aaron Rodgers. But it's also Aaron Rodgers needs that element on the field, so it could happen. Alan Lazard's super limited, but he's also got Rodgers' trust, so I would probably earn more than a 90 to 100 target potential for him. And if that happens and you extrapolate those totals out, it probably bridges the gap Yeah, I think he's where we're at. As of this moment, unless any of these rookies really pop, I don't see how Lazard isn't there, excluding Aaron Jones, who could have a freak <laughs> year. But yeah. I think Lazard leads him in targets, yards, touchdowns. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't see how he doesn't. No, I'm, I'm with you. You know, that's that's a surprising one. Now, listen, we're an hour in and haven't gone into tight end. So, pick two names that stick out to you. Good, bad, or indifferent here on the list. I'll do the same, and then we'll move to tight end. Uh, two names. Chase Claypool, we have him 10 spots lower than Clay does. Clay's at 43. Um, we have him down at uh, 53, then, for my math. Is mm-hmm. There you go. Um, we're just not Claypool fans. And then I'll just – what where they're tied together, uh, George Pickens, he has him down around 70, and we had him – where did I take him? Can't find him. 44. So again, it's just kind of the, the narrative there, right? So we think, I believe Pickens is going to overtake Claypool early in the year. And I think, uh, I think Pickens is one of the breakout rookies this year. So if I have Pickens high and Claypool low, they have to balance each other out opposite what Clay thought. Yeah, well, two for me, and they went back-to-back picks. Is Gabe Davis, who I took as wide receiver, twenty-nine, and Mike Clay has him as well. Or sorry, twenty. Yeah, twenty. I'm oh, sorry, twenty-eight. And you, uh, what am I looking at here? You have the numbers. You have the numbers wrong, John. That's supposed to be thirty. So yes, I took him as twenty-nine. He is wide receiver thirty in Clay's projections, which I like to see, and I think the guy has higher upside as the wide receiver two in Buffalo. But then you went and took. The aforementioned Adam Thielen at wide receiver 30, who Clay projects as 36. So it's a little bit of variance where Clay's saying that Gabe Davis is greater than Adam Thielen this year as well. And I am absolutely here for it. So <laughs> let's uh, get off of these wide receivers. Let's get through tight end with a little added oomph. So we keep this episode within reason and I'll be the one to dive out. There's nothing at the top, the top, Nine picks are within three slots, good, bad, or indifferent of where Clay has them projected. And so just a reminder, our draft went Kelsey, Andrews, Pitts, Kittle, Schultz, Waller, Hawkinson, Hunter Henry, Zach Ertz, Pat Fryer. We'll, we'll stop at Hunt at Zach Ertz because that's where it uh well, even Fryer moved. He has them at eleven, you went at ten. So we'll move on. So but yeah, Hunter Henry, we were a little high on that. Was it? Yeah, Hunter spots. Henry was three high and Darren Waller was three low. Yeah, so and he's that, he's got Hunt, Henry as a tight end one, and so do we. So it ain't even like it's yeah. So all within the realm of reality. Now, Mike Isecki, we mentioned Mike Isecki. He has his tight end ten on the year. <laughs> you took him as tight end eighteen. I'd 
I'm just I'm still baffled. I'm gonna have to go look at Clay's projections for the Dolphins because he again <laughs> Hill and Waddle as wide receiver ones, Gasecki as a tight end one, Tua as a was a uh, a quarterback three. I just really at a loss. And Gasecki ate so much last year because it was him and Waddle. That was it. And I just don't see him getting and and they're gonna be far, far more run based than they were in years past. I mean, if Mike McDaniel brings any semblance of the 49ers offense, sure you can reference Kittle, but Kittle played so many snaps because he was a tremendous blocker. I mean, it, with Gasicki being split out wide as much as he is, who even knows if he plays as many snaps anymore? Because he's not going to be what Kittle was. He can't block like Kittle does. So he's not gonna, just going to, just because he's the tight end on the team that McDaniel came from, he's not just going to be on the field all the time. I mean, he's going to probably cycle out. I'm surprised that he has Gasicki where he does. You mentioned Henry with a slight variance. He has Noah Fant as tight end 13 fringe tight end one i took fan as tight end 19 out of here so this is a seattle now we just talked about dk metcalf and and uh, tyler lockett now add noah fan to the equation of how's it going to happen i mean it's insane. i like the talent <laughs> it's I, I fucking like the, insanity like talent but it's just i don't see how the ball no. gets delivered to the with the ability to produce these type of <laughs> outcomes and I just don't Crazy. even like the Seattle offense. I know. Like who clearly are committing to the run. They're doubling down with their draft picks and everything associated with that. Resigning Penny, going and getting Kenny Walker, you know, finally committing to the offensive line. They want to be run based. So color me shocked. And then a couple chalks with Comment and Joku and Knox for him. And then we hit Outlier Town again, right? Where Er Smith. We were minus seven on. He has our Smith as tight end 17. You got him at tight end 24. He has Robert Tunyon at tight end 18. I got Robert Tunyon at tight end 25. And then Tyler Higby, he has posting a tight end 19 season. I got Higby at tight end 29. So we found a lot more value in those players than where he has them projected. And I just don't see how... I mean, I, I guess it's possible. Er Smith was injured last year, so it's out of sight, out of mind. Tunyon also had just one decent game last year and got hurt, so he, he might be the same. Higby, I don't see how he gets there. I mean, two other guys kind of stepped up when he got hurt last year, and I'm just not the biggest fan. don't think he has that much upside. I'm happier where we took him than where Clay's projecting him. Any of those guys that you wanted to – talk about I, I like everybody right after Higby over Higby I mean that's why he fell Albert O Gerald Everett Logan Thomas Evan Ingram Austin Hooper give me all those guys over him and that you know that almost knocks him down the 10 spots yeah I don't that's too high Herb Smith I get the narrative I mean Conklin became fantasy viable in that role granted it's a new offense and everything this year so may not be the same role but they they have a space where a tight end can succeed we saw a year ago um but other than that, not really. I think Tanyan is overrated and stinks. He's, again, one of the only guys Rodgers trusts, so I, I see a path for him to get there. But, you know, I got to see it more than one time over somebody's career. The only guy, uh, real quick, just to go backwards a second here, uh, 11th overall, you took Rob Gronkowski. Um, Clay did not rank him because technically he's not on the team. Just doing quick math, he had Cameron Brait at 27, and he also had rookie Cade Otten at 33. Mm. I did the math. If you combine their stats and give 70% of it to Gronk when he comes back, it's actually right around that 11 spot. So 
we're unofficially wink wink spot on but since he didn't put Gronk in there um we're, we're we hit the nail on the head because i would assume he's going to get 70 percent of the work right goodness gracious john's out here doing math in the streets Kill. it sounded like it was pretty spot on yes uh, as well i like that kate otten was projected at 81 points that was a guy i was targeting in rookie drafts especially tight end premium yeah, yeah. Big he's fan. Dynasty stash. Love him. Oh, yeah. Because Gronk is one another one year you know, yep. as Brady will re retire mm-hmm. after this year. Um, yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, we, you talked about Albert O very briefly. You took him at 12. Mike Clay has him projected at 20. Um, just buying into this Denver offense again. Yeah. And then Gerald Everett, who we're both big fans of. I thought you reached a little bit when you took him at 14, but he has him at 21. So well within the realm of reality. I got to love the Chargers offense. So why not get a piece, a cheap piece yeah. for the tight end position when you got to pay up almost to get any of the other pieces? Herbert's a top five quarterback. Eckler's a top five running back. Uh, Mike Williams and and uh, Keenan Allen are both top 20 receivers. This is your cheap piece. And it's Gerald Everett. So I agree with you there. And then a bunch of other names you mentioned of wanting before Logan Thomas. Yeah, I, I like him with Carson Wentz in the offense. Yeah. Evan Ingram in one year. Austin Hooper with limited other options in Tennessee. I'm a fan of all those guys as well. Um, I don't know necessarily above the Aerosmith, Robert Tunyon and all, but shit, we took most of them over those guys. So, you know, we're roundabout way. We're there. And then there's a few notable lower guys that we should probably reference. And it's that he has Brevin Jordan as tight end 25, so a fringy tight end two. I got him down at 31. He also has um, another guy. There's just nobody there, so I get it. Yeah, and then Hayden Hurst, who you took a few picks earlier, you took him as tight end twenty. He has him down at tight end twenty six. So six spot swing the other way. But you know, Uzoma was relevant last year, albeit in spurts in this Bengals offense, and now Hayden Hurst steps right in there with little target competition. The aforementioned CJ Uzoma, he has as tight end twenty eight. Now with the Jets, where I took Ozoma as tight end 35, and it's because him and Tyler Conklin, who you took at tw- tight end 28, are probably going to cannibalize each other by and large. So yeah, I mean, I don't, uh, I don't see where and you I keep saying tight end. Are you hearing that? It's not like <laughs> I, I did Four fucking. Oh, I have Conklin right where he has Uzoma. So we have a Jets co- tight end there, and what's going to be you know too much of a timeshare to be uh, comfortable week in and week out. But I, I just think Conklin's the better fantasy asset even though Uzoma is probably the better pro- professional football tight end but you don't mm-hmm. get points for that so no one cares <laughs> no not at all the last two names that were outliers for us are Adam Troutman who he had down at tight end 31 Donald Parham who he had at 37 that we both drafted four spots higher than those two I'm I'm gonna go to bat on an Adam Troutman breakout season it's yeah. the third year it's the yeah. time for him to do it with the Saints they have weapons that are going to keep defenses honest. He should be able to roam rather freely in the middle of the field. I think he's going to exceed where I drafted him. Definitely the projection that uh, Clay has for him. And Donald Parham, if it's not Gerald Everett, it's going to be Donald Parham. Mm-hmm. So there's one of those two guys is going to be the streaming tight end that you end up keeping on your roster for several weeks. And it's just because he starts stringing together good performances and he's tied to the Chargers offense. So I liked that you got it, that we got him into our top 36 and that he ended up real fringy for Mike Clay and the projections. Yeah. I mean, and we, 
no offense, Mike Clay, but we we're pretty good at this. So uh, the guys we're higher on, I'm, I'm happy. Those are guys I'll be targeting more because obviously we'll get a good value on them. Um, just some guys that he threw in here that we did not have mentioned Cameron Brayton, and Kate Otten, but that's because we had Gronkowski actually in there. So they both disappear when he's there. Dan Arnold, which I was surprised to see at 30. I mean, we're talking tight end threes here with the exception of two tight end leagues. You're not even interested in guys at this point, but I thought it was interesting to see Dan Arnold squeeze in there. Jordan Akins, he has at 35. I took Bellinger at 34. I guess it just depends on how you think that's going to shake out in with the Giants this year, but you know, offensive, the, the tight end on that team is in that range. And then I took Jake Ferguson because at the time I thought <laughs> um, Dalton Schultz was going to give him the old I'm not showing up until I get my long-term deal, but he didn't show up to camp. But there's a world where Ferguson gets a little more work than we expect because they might not be able to come to a long-term agreement with Schultz, which means he's gone next year, and Ferguson is arguably the uh, heir to the throne there. There you go. Yeah, I did think very well synopsed there. I mean, just hearing the names like Jordan Akins and seeing Farrow Brown, like just Houston Texans, (laughs) like, like tight ends like you wanted to believe in for a minute that are still being projected about. I mean, the epic fall from grace of John U. Smith being projected as tight end 34 is painful to look at. You mentioned Dan Arnold. I can see a lot of two tight end sets with Doug Peterson. Yeah, sure. That's what he ran with that Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz very successfully. So Arnold and Evan Ingram, you know, could coexist to a certain degree. Arnold had a lot of flash in his uh, last season and a half, you know, a little bit with the Cardinals and then obviously with the Jaguars until he got injured. So I can buy that. Last name I want to bring up because I love the guy, Mo Alley Cox. He has his tight end 29. Um, I think Matt Ryan could make a tight end super relevant this year. It's not like the Colts are flush with pass catching talent. They did sign uh, or they did draft Alec Pierce. Maybe Paris Campbell plays seven games this season. <laughs> And then they have Michael Pittman, you know, and other than that, I mean, their throw to Naeem Hines and, and uh, Jonathan Taylor. But I think Cox could end up with like a sneaky, Eric, like Eric Ebron, 10 touchdown season. Oh, yeah. With the Colts. Yep. Easy. And yep. below that projection out of the water, we were only three higher than him when you took him at 26. But he's a guy that you talk about late, like at the very end of your drafts as your tight end, too. I'll probably end up having a lot of Mo Cox. Yeah, I agree. And I, Cox is a perfect place to wrap this up. <laughs> and tight ends. Yep. <laughs> so that, that'll do it for us. Hopefully uh, kind of a fun look at where we were relative to uh, one of the top projection guys in the industry. So, um, Be sure to go back and listen to the previous four episodes if you haven't, see how we break them down for us. And then, of course, you could just go on Google and look for Mike Clay's uh, projections for 2022. It's 70-something pages. It's pretty voluminous. He's got a ton of stuff in there, but it's definitely worth checking out. And Pretty cool thing to have on your desk during uh, draft season for this year if you're trying to decide between two players. I've already done it a couple times in some uh, drafts I've been participating in. I've actually used it a lot more than I thought I was going to. But that should do it for us. For myself, John DeBari, my co-host, Mr. Matt Walker, and as always, our friends at Expand the Box Score. We are the Fantasy 40, and we are out of here. Out! Good thing that we started when we did, because I got 20 minutes for my next...
I had Justin Thomas. I had I'm trying to think like the people that didn't do it. I had Sung J M. Didn't do it. Yeah, like just didn't. Everybody, everybody but one, right? Technically. Yeah, but yeah, like I don't, I don't know whether I had Fitzpatrick or not. I definitely had Scheffler. I had Zalatoris. I had who else did I have? Well, Scheffler was second, right? Yeah, so was Zalatoris. Both at five under. Did you get anything for that? Uh, I don't know how the payouts work. I think it's winner take all, um, which is what benefited me at the Masters, right? That was at, actually at that time, that was the la- largest pool he had run, mm. like significantly increased to that one. So when I hit, um, I have to look back and, and see. But that 25-person snake that I do as well, $50 yeah. a team. Team 10, this guy. Rode the braced bomber, Matt Fitzpatrick, all the way to a nice six hundred dollar payday. Oh, really? <laughs> Fucking real, I did. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's I dude. One, I like the kid. I think he's a solid player. His game, yeah, marries that course so well. And then there was the narrative. And as much as people want to say no, I I go full embracing narratives. Oh, me too. When, when they're too spot on, and he won the the amateur there and he's staying back at the house with the people he stayed with. Then he like, oh, I didn't know he won the amateur there. Oh yeah. So he's, he's like I said, I didn't get to do any fucking research this week. It was him, Jack and Julie Inkster are the only three people ever to win the amateur and a open on the same course. Cause he wanted a Brookline. So the fuck is Julie? What Julie Inkster? She's one of the best female golfers of all time. There that goes. What's that? On the broadcast, Tariko only mentioned Jack Nicholas. So I was like, ooh, what's we just we're just talking PGA. Have we talked about, <laughs> about Tariko before? What about his head? About him. It's very strange. No, uh, there's something about Tariko. Okay. Oh boy, is there. Oh wow. Mike Tariko tells everyone and anyone who asks. That he is 100% Italian. How dare my job call me at 12 o'clock on a Tuesday. Is that a penis? Sure is. Just having a ton of fun over here, huh? (laughs) 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 Giant child. I will look at that. I just emailed you. uh, I just emailed it to you. Yeah, that's... uh, had had no clue you were you couldn't have been happier to tell me something. You're like the Grinch when he actually stole Christmas. The way your smile just like curled. Oh, I love all these. I know you don't. You're, I you're find all these fan. crazy fucking stories of these people. <laughs> they suck you right in. <laughs>